But as we look, as John said, at the close of Living Life Well, a series that we've gone, an adventure I hope that we've done as church over the last year, I think there is a sense, and if you feel like I'm shoehorning in the analogy, I apologise, but I think there is a sense where we've been called to look at life with different eyes. We've been called to live life well in a way that is different. And certainly, when we look at submission, and it's not a popular discipline, um, and we look at submission, it does ask us to breathe a different air, to wear a different lens as we look at our world. Because increasingly in our world, entitlement is everything. We are a rights-driven world, a rights-driven population. And in a way, we understand that. We see the need for it. We absolutely get it that there is a need for justice and good human rights. But we also know that in a world that is becoming increasingly selfish, we are more broken than ever before, more messed up than ever before, politically more ambivalent, ambiguous, you name it, we are it as a nation. And selfish ambition seems to constantly be getting in the way of what could be a loving and lawful society. So as we look at these two passages, and perhaps we could bring the... Um, Acts passage up on the screen first, Alice. We look at, um, in Acts 4, uh, a model of this living that is a submitted living, a surrendered living. In Acts 2, if you remember, uh, people came together and they prayed. The Holy Spirit came upon them and there was poverty in their midst. By Acts 4, where we join the story, there was no poverty among them. I find that one of the greatest miracles of the New Testament. I think it's extraordinary that actually in two chapters, we're not quite sure of the time span, but in two chapters, we move from inequality to absolute equality in that everything is shared. Let's just hear what is said in Acts 4. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it into the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone, any people who had need." Um, that was quite badly read. I'm just getting used to <laughs> reading. Uh, I can read normally. Um, but actually, that model of laying at the feet is quite a beautiful picture, isn't it? In other words, all we have, everything we bring, coming in a way to the apostles' feet. And I think that is a model of church that God is hungry for. And I think if we're honest, aren't we a bit hungry for that? You know, wouldn't it be amazing if we in our community groups, we in our life groups and our congregation here at Bourneville were so distinctive that actually people thought, wow, that's a different way to live, isn't it? 
You know, our community group um, had the privilege of buying a car for one of its members last year. Uh, she'd been recently widowed and had her car stolen right from the drive, almost in front of her eyes when she was de-icing it and she just popped in to get some de-icer. And in that split second, somebody came and drove her car away. And you just think, why? Why would that happen when she's just lost her husband? He's the one that would have been there helping de-ice and whatever. And suddenly she's on her own she's bereaved, uh, she's desperate, and then her car's gone, which is her only means of transport. But the community group, and there were all sorts of different sums of money that came in. It doesn't matter. Some will have given five, some will have given 50, some 500. It doesn't matter. But what matters is we share. And, and that's just one thing you'll have in your groups, many other uh, examples of that. But I guess we're hungry for more. So that's the Acts 4 model. Let's look now briefly at Philippians. And uh, hold on to your hats because this is a passage that everyone slightly dreads, all right? We're just going to look at Philippians 2 um, because it's a tough bar here, but it gets better. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And the verse that follows that, perhaps is the one that you're waiting for, which says, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus. Hands up who feels that's true of them today. Exactly. Um, we know it's not. We know that's the bar. Our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus. And then we read those words about selfish ambition. And if you're anything like me, you start to spiral down a little bit and think, mm, that really doesn't describe me necessarily. But we are being moved forward and being changed by the living example of Jesus, by his example in each other, and by the work of the Spirit. And there are three points that I'd like to just draw out of those two pieces of scripture, really, in terms of submission. The first is to submit our attitudes. We read about our attitude. What does it mean to surrender our attitude, to submit our attitudes to Jesus? The second is, is submitting our ambitions to Jesus and finally then submitting our resources, our resources, our possessions, our lives to the work of Jesus. In the uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, at the very beginning, we read these words, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. And then Article 2, everyone is entitled to all the rights and freedoms set forth in this declaration without distinction of any kind. Good, wise words that say we need to live with boundaries, we need to live with justice, we don't want to violate the terms, if you like. Now, this is the UN, but we get it. We know that there is coercion in our world. We know with campaigns recently driven that there are things afoot that look at 
at what coercion can do, how it can hurt us, how it can maim and destroy us. Uh, interestingly, Lauren Hill, uh, the singer, says this, what do I owe anybody that I should submit my will to them? And she doesn't speak really much differently to most of our world at the moment, does she? You know, there's that sort of, you know, who do, who do I need to bow down to? You know, I was listening to a program only a couple of days ago that says, you put yourself first, speak your own truth, everything about you. And you think, well, that's okay, but where's it got us? Where has it got us really? People are more unhappy than ever. People are more lonely than ever. And yet, this model, this beautiful model in the beginning of Acts, is a happy model, isn't it? It's a very different model to the grabbing that we know we feel. It's open-handed. Uh, I know I've spoken a couple of times before, but I hope it bears repetition that as part of my training um, in theatre years ago now, we were taught that there are two ways to enter a room as a character, but I think it's very true as a person. You can enter a room and say, here I am and many actors do, and that's kind of part of the training. It's kind of, here I am, everyone. And the second way to enter a room is to say, there you are. And actually, this society is about that. It's not about, here's me making an entrance. It's about, there you are. There you are. There you are with your needs, with your wounds. And actually, church is a very, very good model for that. It's a flawed model. We know this. But nevertheless, we will know that there are two ways we can come to church. We can come and say, oh, didn't get much out of that, to be honest, this morning. Judy was a bit off it, wasn't she, with the new lenses? Or, um, you would be forgiven for that, by the way. Um, or we could say... Actually, I was really able to bless that person over coffee and just encourage them, or I was able to make a drink for that person, or maybe I missed the talk, but I served in children's church. And that's the model. That's the beautiful model that we have of serving one another. So Lauren Hill, we get it, but perhaps we don't agree. Most of you will know this face. And uh, actually, when the Me Too campaign started, there were many people that were brought to court, brought to justice, and the process goes on to say, we have been abused, we have been coerced, not only by Harvey Weinstein there, but by many others. The Me Too campaign is a just and right campaign. Please hear me and hear us when we say, this kind of submission is not that. It's not saying it's okay to violate someone else's human rights. What we are saying is that actually we learn to prefer one another in a godly way, not in an ungodly way. And I think it's really important to make that distinction as the campaign rightly goes on in our nation and across the world. So in Ephesians, uh, we heard a couple of weeks ago from Andy that we were told to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, why are we doing it? Why do we want to submit to one another and prefer one another? Because Jesus has done it for us. He's washed our feet, if you like. He's served us. He's blessed us. He's died for us. He's loved us and all of it really undeserved. And so out of that grace, as we read in the passage, out of that mercy comes a reverence for his likeness in one another. I wonder if we could look at one another even this week in a different way, 
but perhaps the person we find the most difficult to submit to, and there'll be different people for all of us. What about if we kind of turn that on its head and think, how can I actually bless and honor that person rather than battle with them? But actually, how can I elevate that person? It's a difficult thing, but it is a godly thing. And the beautiful thing about it is we end up actually feeling better too. That actually the struggle and the coercion and the battling, once we sometimes lay that down, we can feel very different. Now, one of the things that put me off Christianity for a little while, this is before I... Um, uh, worked for the church, in case you're worried. Um, and uh, in my teens, I thought, yeah, those Christians are great, but, you know, I'm not a doormat. I'm not going to be a doormat for anyone. And I misread what Christianity was about. So I'm passionate about this stuff because I don't think Jesus Christ was a doormat. In fact, I'd go so far as to say he's the least like a doormat person you've ever come across. And yet he showed beautiful kindness, beautiful humility. He knew who he was and who he was meant to be. They tried to make him a political leader. He said, that's not the kind of leader I'm called to be. He was a servant king. And in that paradox, we have, if you like, the model of submission that we are called to in Jesus. Not to be a doormat and just say, whatever you say goes, I agree with it. But to say, I choose to think what it must be like to be you for a moment what it must feel like to be you. And some of the angriest people and the most difficult people sometimes, perhaps some of the most power-driven people that we can be around, whether that's at work or in your family, we'll all have them. Many times it comes from a place of hurting. You know, a few weeks ago we said, you know, be careful who you respond to because everyone you meet is facing a battle you know nothing about. I know that as a pastor, you know that, that actually there are battles in this room, there are battles in our hidden places, as, as Val said earlier on, uh, perhaps things that have gone dry uh, that need his life, but we all have it. Uh, Adele Kaloon says this, an unpopular repugnant concept these days, the notion of giving away power conjures up images of becoming a doormat, a weak-willed non-entity of a brainwashed cult follower or a brainwashed cult follower. That's not the calling uh, here for us. The calling is for freedom. It's to yield power. It's to submit to a good godly authority, not uh, an ungodly one. So the first thing, they gave over their attitudes. Uh, many years ago, a lovely wise man said to me, have an attitude of gratitude. And it's, it makes sense to me. It makes sense if any of us have traveled and we've been to other countries where we've seen this, that actually people are grateful for everything. If we turn some of our entitlement and our anger and why haven't I got more of this and why has she got more than me and why has he got more than I have? If we turn that, if we turn the lenses, if you like, to say, I am grateful for what I have, our attitude begins to change. We begin to submit to the life that we individually have been called to lead as we follow Jesus. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind in humility, being one in spirit and in humility to value others above ourselves, uh, to actually do that in our submission 
not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. How amazing would it be if our society looked more like that? We wouldn't have the same wars, we wouldn't actually have the same battles, we wouldn't, I dare to say, have the same poverty and homelessness that we have. Uh, forgive me if I've, if I've told you this, but uh, some of you may not have heard that there was a bit of a miracle with coffee uh, while we were rehearsing for the Passion Play. Uh, some homeless guys were hanging around uh, the church, St. Martin's in the Bullring, and uh, found that there was coffee left over from the rehearsals. There was one of these big pumper flasks, and Rachel, who is in charge of the rehearsal, said, yeah, I don't know how much coffee you'll get, but you'll have one whatever we've got left over here, I think you'll get six, coffee, um, six coffees out of that in these cups. And these guys are homeless, they're hungry, they're cold, they're thirsty. Many of you will have seen and, and uh, met some of them in our city. But what they couldn't do, interestingly, is they couldn't just down it themselves. They wanted to take the cups out to their mates across New Street and further afield. And they, one of them, uh, a guy called Albert, said a little prayer over the coffee. And they were able to take this pumper drink coffee out to as many people as had need of this coffee. They just kept on serving. Now, I find that biblical. I don't know the exact statistics of it, but the coffee didn't run out until they had served their mates on the street, and yet there were only a few cups left. Now, there's a story in the Bible that some of us know about that, that actually oil didn't run out until the, uh, the, the um, receptacles were filled up. And I think there's something in that that actually says if we surrender our attitude, if we're not a grabbing world and a grabbing nation and a grabbing individual, because those guys must have thought, I need this. But actually, instead, they chose to pray over something that could become a blessing uh, to their mates on the streets, uh, a really good uh, Philippians model. Uh, this uh, is a, a, an ambulance picture taken down in Surrey. And uh, those of you who will uh, have... Uh, worked in ambulances or had to call an ambulance will know that parking is not an easy thing to do. Uh, they sometimes have to block lanes, they have to block driveways and so on. And they're very, very used to receiving things like this, messages like this, because they're blocking the drive. You block my drive, I waited 45 minutes for you to move. Please have some consideration. You can almost hear it, can't you? This is not the first time you've done that. So that's someone who is not really submitting they're cross, they're angry, and most of us resonate that at times we probably would feel like that. I, I certainly struggle on the roads, as some of you know. But the second, um, the second thing uh, that actually I think is really beautiful is this was also left on that ambulance, another occasion. You're blocking our drive, no worries, buy a coffee when you can, and a £10 note. In other words, actually, I surrender because what you are doing here is more important than me having access to my driveway. Because you might be saving a life, I am not. You have something to do that is of worth and of rescue, and I am not. In other words, it's a beautiful example of surrender and submission, but not just that, generosity on top of it. And that's the bit that makes us smile, isn't it? That you could just have written the lovely note and we'd go away feeling pretty good about ourselves. Um, but actually, no, going the extra mile. 
Secondly, they gave over their ambition. Now, I struggle with this. I, I think if we're honest, perhaps some of us do as well, because we think, well, God's given us godly ambition. He's given us dreams. He's made us people who want to do well, want to be good at our jobs, want to do the very best. And most of us, in some ways, whether we're ambitious in, as a parent, ambitious for our children, ambitious for us, we recognize that we are an ambitious people, many of us. And I think God's put that there for a reason. I don't think that's what this is about. It's about the selfish part of that, that actually the Bible is addressing and that Jesus addressed. If ambition is all about make me look good, I do well, I get the glory, then yes, there is something wrong with that, I think. But if our ambition is to do the very best with what we have, with the gifts that we've been given, with the opportunities that we have, then there's something I think that make God smile in that, that says, look at my children, they're doing the very best with what they were given, with the brain that I've given them, with the money that I've given them. We heard last week from Tim about that thing of what resource you've been given, not hiding it away, but risking it all, actually saying, I want to serve the King, I want to serve Jesus with what I've been given. But Philippians says that actually we put one another above ourselves. Sometimes that might mean someone else taking the credit for something we've done. Have you ever had that happen? That's hard, isn't it? If you've worked really hard on something and then someone else gets all the glory, isn't there a voice in all of us that wants to say, <coughs> by the way, that, that actually was me, you know? And actually part of being part of a team, playing for a team, is that we actually say we don't, we don't care who gets the credit. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. We're doing this together because we're actually surrendering ambition. Uh, I don't know if you've been enjoying the sport over the weekend. Perhaps some of you are getting ready for the tennis this afternoon or the cricket. You know, not sure which way you're going. But one I loved yesterday was the men's doubles at Wimbledon. One of the best men's doubles matches I think I've ever seen. Five sets. And what is lovely about doubles is the way that actually they don't care who gets the glory. It's, it doesn't matter. You know, you can pass it in somebody else follies at the net. It doesn't matter. We're a team. And there's something in the discipleship of Jesus, the little band of brothers that they were, that actually they didn't care who got the credit as long as people's lives were mended. Some of you will remember this, the Brownlee brothers. Uh, you'll remember the beautiful scenes where uh, one brother sacrificed uh, Alistair. He was coming in, just got one person left to beat when he sees his brother Johnny staggering around, just behind him, still in the running, but going over to the water cooler. And he has a choice there in that moment. Does he want, does he go to win, which he had every chance of doing. There was one person, a South African guy who could pip him at the post. And then there was him. And your brother is behind teetering around, swaggering around. What does he choose to do? He chose to put his arm around him, uh, to take him. And what I love, my favorite bit of that, the bit that always makes me cry when I watch it, is that he pushed his brother over the line ahead of himself. So his brother actually, despite being that dehydrated, came second in that race because Alistair pushed Johnny over the think. I mean, I find that incredible. You know, I'm not sure I could do that. Um, but actually, that's the model that we have of brotherhood, of sisterhood, to actually say, no, you take a place above me. 
And we know the disciples struggled with this. We're in good company if we're struggling. They said, you know, who's the greatest among us, Jesus? They had to rewire themselves and so do we. We need to actually ask God's help because the air we breathe is so different, isn't it? We need to ask for his spirit, his mercy to actually strengthen us that we're ambitious for a greater cause. And actually when we win as church, when we win together, isn't it glorious? Isn't it way, way better than when it's just for ourselves? The joy of it, the joy that's shared, the love that is there, even in that picture is is so moving. And then finally, they gave over their resources. They gave over what they had. Uh, As we said, Acts 2 becomes Act 4, where actually the early church is living with shared resource, with everything together. They were of one heart and one mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. Um, If you're not part of a community group, can I just say, this is a brilliant opportunity to see this in action, to do it. We're not perfect at it, we get it wrong, but actually the model is for the early church model of living together, living community together. We have a WhatsApp group, as I'm sure many community groups do on our WhatsApp, and we'll just get a little message. Has anybody got a van? Has anyone got a lawnmower? We called it the server for a time uh, because we just wanted to say, has anybody got this so that we can share it rather than going out and buying it and giving to one another? And I would love it if Riverside Church had more community groups than we currently have, living like this, living shared lives. Uh, Nathaniel spoke very movingly a couple of weeks ago at Moseley about what it is like being a single parent. He was talking uh, about single parenting and saying that actually he's not yet in that position, but he was saying actually, if we have time, how can we help those in our midst who currently don't have time and need our help with looking after kids on their own? Can we not? as groups, as life groups, as community groups, do that. Give babysitting, give time, give resource to free them up because it's a really tough call. And if you are a single parent, just well done for all that you're doing on your own. It's very, very tough. But actually, we are family and therefore, there is a resource that we have in one another in terms of loving one another and supporting one another. And I'm sure the early church had that. They would parent together as well. We don't hear a lot about that. We all long for the kind of community that shows mutual submission and love, that excels in love. There are many things, I guess, that we would love to be said of us when we think about what will be said of our lives, when we think about what will our lives amount to. But one thing I know I would love, and I'm sure you would love to be said of us, is that we excelled in love that we excelled in loving. And we can be ambitious for that. We can be ambitious that we are a church, a kingdom that has love running through our veins. And love says your needs come above mine. That actually what you need and I have, I can give to you. It's a beautiful model. And I think, I don't know about you, but I have many friends outside of church of no faith, of other faiths that are incredibly kind and generous. It's not something that we have unique to us by any means, but Jesus Christ stood as the model, to me the most stunning and most beautiful model of it that we've ever seen. How do we know this? Because he gave his life. 
If that's not submission, is that not surrender? He gave his life, as we've just celebrated in communion, so that we could be forgiven, so that everything that we've ever done that would hurt God is seen through that lens, that lens of grace, that lens of mercy. Viktor Frankl um, uh, talked in his book about the last rights of humanity. He talked about in the prison camps in the Second World War, a study of the human spirit. And he said, do you know what the very last human right is? To be kind. He saw men in that camp giving away bread when that was all they had, like our homeless friends with the coffee, or having one bit of bread to sustain them through the day and taking a piece and giving it to someone else. The last human right to be generous, to be kind.